the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Happy New Year and welcome to 2024, Bakers. If you didn't have the opportunity to join us live in December, Dr. Lin and I did a seminar-style live conversation. We reviewed many of the 2023 highlights and made our predictions and prognostications for 2024. Here for your listening pleasure is our conversation for this episode of Baked in Science. everyone, welcome to this Bakerpedia seminar all about the best of bakery in 2023. I'm Mark Florka, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lynn Carson to discuss the best bakery trends of 2023 and what is coming next in 2024. This seminar is brought to you by, drumroll please, us, the Bakerpedia team. We will be reviewing the best bakery trends of 2023 and what's coming next in 2024. From keto baking to sugar reduction, we will review all of the novel bakery trends of the year and highlights of bakery production throughout the year. We will also share some of our thoughts on what is ahead for the upcoming year and how bakers around the world can prepare to fulfill your customers' needs while keeping the consistency and quality of your products. So welcome to this fireside chat with Dr. Lynn and I. Please do say hi in the chat box and let yeah. us know where you're from. And if, for questions uh, that you would like us to discuss, put those in the Q&A box, please. So say hi in the chat. Questions yeah. in the Q and A. Okay. Everyone say how hi are to you, Dr. Lynn. Hey, how are you? I Excellent. just brought my uh, sweater today, ah. and this particular reindeer does blink. Do you see it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh yeah, but yeah. I can see the light. I'm going to turn it off because it's distracting to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome everyone to this fire chat for the last webinar of the year. Wow, so many people here. That's awesome. Mark, we've had quite an interesting year and we've seen so many things happen in the forum and happen in the trans scene. So basically, you know, let's talk about it, right? What Absolutely. are you seeing, Mark? So <laughs> what are the current and upcoming challenges with sugar? I don't know about you, Dr. Lin, but I've seen all kinds of things in the news with sugar challenges in a variety of different ways. In Europe, in Central Europe, the price of sugar is skyrocketing. 
it's going extremely high. It's had an effect on world sugar. So our sugar prices here in in the US and Canada are going up as well. I'm not sure exactly what the cause is. I think it may be just uh, raw material, crop sourcing or things like that. I know another cause in Canada is that there has been a very long and ongoing strike of Rogers Sugar out in Western Canada, who are the main supplier of sugar in Western Canada and the Northwestern US. So that's created a bottleneck of sugar availability. So this is an opportunity I see is to look at sugar reduction. I mean, we've had some excellent seminars on sugar reduction. Yeah. And, you know, besides, you know, the obvious trends, which we'll get to things like keto and stuff like that, and, you know, and then just generally healthier nutrition by reducing sugar. Now we're reaching a point where it's actually going to be cheaper to take the sugar out and put some high-intensity sweetener in. That's correct. I believe we learned that in the Ingredients Sugar Reduction webinar. If you guys are interested in listening to how to take out your sugar and build back the functional blocks, that's a really good webinar to listen mm-hmm. to. And I agree with you. I think in the U.S., how it affects a lot of us is your sugar edit line, right? So there is a huge factor to how much sugar you're adding to the sugar edit line. And a lot of people are looking for alternatives to include sugar within fruit juice or, you know, agave syrup and all these natural sources to really include the sugars out of the sugar line, excuse me for the agave sugar, but if you add agave syrup in there, it's still going to go on the sugar edit line. There are other technologies like yeast-based technologies, like sourdough fermentation technologies that actually does give that little bit of uh, resilient uh, residual sugars. Also look at other possibility like malt products. When you add malt in your product, you get a natural sweetener, but it doesn't necessarily go on the sugar edit line. Yep. So things like that, that can really help formulate and provide that hematancy, that uh, chewiness, that browning, you know, so all that stuff, I feel like it's still a very vibrant scene in terms of sugar replacement. Yeah. The one yeah. the one hot commodity that is popular in North America, at least already, is allulose. Even though it is considered a rare sugar or a rare form of sugar, it doesn't get classified as a sugar for the sugar added labeling in Canada for where Canada they did a different system where they group all of the sugars together uh, in the ingredient declaration so it it falls there but in the Europe allulose is not allowed yet it's still under review for to see if make sure that it's it's safe and the benefit of allulose is that it can help you with your sugar reduction so i think it's 70% as sweet as sugar yep and it provides most of the humectancy, the same kind of browning. It also is relatively inexpensive compared to some of the high intensity sweeteners and things like that. So, you know, it's considered natural. It is extracted from plants to produce, right? So much like how sucrose is extracted from plants. I think there is still a lot to do with sugar and bakers are going to have the upper hand if you innovate using this particular technology, sugar replacement. 
you know, I think is still very vibrant. Again, you know, Wikipedia is sponsored by companies and innovative ingredient companies that sponsor our content. Mm -hmm. And if you need any samples, reach out to us or, you know, for this particular sugar replacement technology, Icon Foods and malt products. And they would have solutions for you to do your uh, sugar substitutions. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Those would be perfect. Yeah. Let's go on to the next point. What are the current and upcoming challenges with wheat production? Well, yes, this is something that I saw a little bit of conversation about, not as much as I expected when I was at uh, EBA in October. But of course, what is going on globally is the impact, first of all, of the war in Ukraine. Ukraine is the largest in the world, which currently they aren't because they can't get the wheat out of there because of the war. And so that puts a strain on all of the other wheat sources, Russia, Canada, Australia, United States, because of course, they're going to sell to the highest bidder. So it has been having an effect on the wheat market pricing as the prices have been going up huge. But also to add insult to injury, by having a little bit less already because of the Ukraine war to be able to blend because, you know, in terms of what they're exporting, where there's less available for blending now to produce a consistent grist or to to keep things as, as minimally changing from crop year to crop year as possible. What's happened on top of that is weather. You may recall, we talked about in the summer, we had forest fires everywhere in Canada and in the U.S. in particularly. So it has been an incredibly dry season that has had an effect on wheat crops. Now, we don't like the crops usually to be too wet, but too dry is not really any good either. So we're getting very inconsistent samples from regions in terms of the protein quantity and protein quality. So there again, it affects blending. So you're going to see changes in wheat flour. You're going to see lower protein wheat flours, or even if the protein isn't that much lower, the protein quality, the stability, the absorption, things like that is going to change. So it's important to stay in contact with your supplier so that you get to know what is happening in terms of the changes before it hits the bowl, because otherwise you're going to be SOL and having to just try and figure things out on the fly. That's still coming and in, in process in the pipeline a bit. Most large bakeries will have already experienced all of the changeovers for our new crop in the US and Canada. And maybe there's just some trickling going on to some extent. But those are the main things that I see currently right now. And I would like to add to that. Wheat quality has always been an issue. And we don't see bakers stepping up to the plate to learn and understand how to monitor your flour quality and how to deal with it, right? So um, we've had a couple seminars this year to do with, I think, the Mixolab, Farinograph, the and some thought leadership Thursdays to talk about these things. So if you have the time, go back into our YouTube library and take a look at these webinars. 
and just basically teach yourself and your team to understand what wheat quality is. Because yep. if you don't understand wheat quality, then you're going to add more gluten. You're going to add more dough improvers. And you're going to be wondering, why aren't your employees doing that? Right. Mm -hmm. So it all boils down to look at your spec sheet, understand your weak quality. And if you still consistently experience those issues, purchase those analytical instrumentation. By the way, KPM Analytics is an amazing analytical flower quality testing company. Yeah. Right. They have everything from a mixolite, a veograph you know, such damage uh, analysis, the peak, you know, sightline, everything you need to create a lab, KPM Analytics is there for you. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you just want to look at the Farino graph, Bray Bender is there to help you with your needs to understand your flower dough absorption. If you just want to put in flower and dough analysis, just one, yep. right? We have provided these solutions to you throughout the year just so that you can make the best decision for yourself on what you need to really create a program, a robust program for incoming flower quality. Because once you have a handle on that, then all these different changes in even your staff and, you know, your doriology, that's all going to be a little more consistent over the year. And all these flower quality, doriology, you know, waste, it's all, it's all a victim of people. And we will talk about that later, about people and staffing issues, yep. you know. And, and but, you know, again, as I said, you know, keeping, I'm always a big proponent of keeping in contact with your supplier. Not so much the distributor, uh, but the, the, the flower miller in this case, right? Distributors sometimes uh, will go the extra mile as well. I know that several of the flour milling companies in North America do free seminars for their customers to teach them hands-on, you know, this is how an alveograph works. This is so, so you can learn everything on the seminar, on the video, and then you can actually do it in practice in a lab with other people together. So you, you can see it live and get an even better understanding of how this whole thing works, right? I know ADM would always do what they called wheat school, and they would do two or three a year. And it was always limited seating. And it was like, you had to get on the list early, right? And so I'm sure that the others do it as well. And there are many different companies doing these types of training sessions for you for free, because it helps them communicate with you to, to keep you loyal to their product. Correct. Ah, just as we mentioned it. <laughs> How are bakeries coping with staffing issues? <laughs> See? Well, I've, I could I've seen, forecast the questions coming. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a bunch of things this year as we've been kind of mostly out of the woods of COVID and everybody sort of was maybe expecting that they're all going to go back to work. Well, some people changed paths or, you know, are in other other industries or other employers or things like that. And there are a lot of staffing issues. There are a lot of shortages. And, you know, some of it is wage related, but that has been mostly alleviated with changes to minimum wages and, and so on. And many of these people are offering much more than minimum wage and still having staffing issues. Right. So, one of the things that I saw a lot of at EBA in Germany is a lot of 
automation or mechanization and things like that. So there you may start to see bakeries, even small and medium-sized bakeries, start to invest more and more in machines when they're having challenges in keeping people available, right? And not so much that they can't keep the staff, but that they can't even find them. So it's not just the baking industry. Many, many industries, hospitality and many others, the nursing industry and so on, they've not bounced back to their their staffing numbers pre-COVID. While we were seeing great low unemployment numbers and job growth and so on, but it is not replenishing the existing job numbers that we had in, in many sectors uh, that we saw. We we need to look into other ways of coping. Streamlining your product range is, is another way of looking at things, right? The things that aren't good volume or good profit sellers, cut them, cut your losses where you can so that you can manage the product volume and so on that you are producing. And there again, work with you know the, the equipment suppliers. Don't talk to just one, talk to one or two and make sure you're getting the best suggestions and ideas. We we know our sponsor and friend, Julio Aviles from ANA Baking Solutions, they're really good at helping you manage CapEx and kind of saying, hey, look at first, what realistically is the volume that you're going to be making or can achieve in X amount of time so that you don't over-purchase on equipment and now have to try and sell into your production productivity cost, and you're struggling then on the other end of things. Grow with your volume, right? Do it almost modular in that sense, right? Yeah, and I have been to many bakeries this year. Unfortunately, the underlying theme is we just can't get enough people. It's not that we're not paying them enough. I've seen the salaries. They are amazing salaries. They have never been so high. The issue is not salary, Mark. The issue is leadership and the type of work. So you're in competition with a lot of other people in the local area for, you know, jobs. You know, that's the biggest thing is how are you going to attract these people? Right. So that's key. I see a lot of issues when it comes to leadership and management to deal with accountability and waste. When your waste levels are up in the double digits and you keep asking yourself, oh, yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm into bakeries. I have no idea how they handle double digit waste and um, double digit downtime. You know, so these bakeries have obviously a real issue to deal with. And when I deep dive some more deeper into the company, I hear accountability. I hear absences and I look at the wages. The wages are unbelievably high. When I look at all these incidences, it shows to me that leadership has a problem. And this is where I, you know, share with everyone. I said, work on your leadership. You know, work on getting the right people to the table that lead your team. Because if you don't do that right now, you're you're forever going to spend that money to train and retrain, train and retrain, because there's such a high turnover in your company. And I would like to offer my services as an executive coach to help train your leadership team 
to get the people up and running and be cohesive within your team. Because when you work on the people issues, your waste level and your accountability, you know, improves, you know. So the, the issue is, yes, we have been seeing a shortage of labor in the bakery and we have slowly evolved to mechanization, automation. But if that still doesn't help your bottom line and you see your waste numbers and your accountability goes out the door, that's when there is a leadership issue. Yep. So, you know. It's all the three P's, right? I, I always like to talk about three P's. It's the product, process, and people. Mm-hmm. And product and process are really easy to solve. It's the people issue that is more challenging. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go on to our next point in our best of bakery this year. Our current health trends, such as high fiber and protein, continuing. And I'm going to say a great big yes. Yes. Yeah. Keto diets. In conjunction um, with the sugar, definitely. Yep. Keto, high fiber for generally, you know, whole grains and things like that are continue to grow. I mean, I think you even see it, you know, in a lot of the supermarkets, you could see the amount of white bread that is on the shelf is slowly getting less and less and it's being crowded out by the the variety of different whole grain and multigrain breads and things like that that are there Um, that's so true mark this is what i like to do with white bread i like to just take it just throw it (laughs) because i don't think white bread is a great representation of our industry there's so many other amazing phenomenal stuff that the baking industry produces and white bread seems to continually give us a bad rep don't you think Yep, absolutely. And, you know, protein is still also the big uh, trend that a lot of people looking towards in terms of now they're getting a little bit tired of the burgers. One is called the impossible. And then there's another one. But th- those those two basically right vegetable protein replacements. Oh, right? Okay, um, yeah, yeah, as long as you put as long as you put lots of toppings on them. They're great right? <laughs> because you, you drown out the flavors, so to speak, right? I do think that America takes a lot of its bread on sandwiches and burgers. So you do have a point there. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, I mean, by, by the first of the year, everyone's going to go keto. Trust me. Even if you're going to mm-hmm. go keto for a month, we're going to see a huge swing into this high protein, high fiber market. I have a podcast coming up where I got to sit down and chat with Sebastian Canon, who is a MOF, you know, a Milieu Auvier de France, uh, which is like one of the best workers of France that he achieved. And he is the one of the founders of the French Pastry School in Chicago. And he's also one of the co-founders in a company that are producing a high-protein bread. And I worked with one of the other co-founders a little bit. Basically, they've discovered certain bacteria and enzymes in the way that they ferment the gluten protein to make it a more complete protein. So that they're adding this, they lose the gluten functionality, but they gain the protein quality. And they're making a very high protein bread. And that's another trend. I mean, seeing protein showing up as an ingredient and creating uh, keto 
products like even with chia seed and and thing and hemp seed and so on where we didn't have that before it's not necessarily targeting gluten free some of them are but it's more with in view towards increasing protein reducing starches carbohydrates and and things like that yeah which i really want to point out the next year has a really good chia-based fiber and powder, and it's very versatile and very pleasant in terms of it doesn't give you that gritty or slimy feel of most hydrocolloids. And with the chia fiber, it has lots of omegas, so it's natural omegas. And looking into the future of producing high fiber and high protein products, you really need to have a toolbox of fibers and protein to dig into to really hit those lines on the ingredient label. So definitely take a look at the webinars that we had this year on high protein to be able to create that keto-friendly label that will help you stand out in the market. Not mm-hmm. forgetting our keto baking book. So with our keto baking book that you can download for free, it will share with you a lot of the tips of the trade on how to bake for high protein and fiber. Is sustainability important for current baked goods and customers? Absolutely. Um, this theme happens every year. And the first time it happened probably about eight years ago, I, I was like, well, when is this going to go away? But it keeps coming back stronger and stronger every year. And mainly, I think it's because the technologies that sustain sustainability (laughs) is coming on strong. We're going to see more ingredient technologies. We're going to see more different practices. We're going to see better energy use. You know, so we need to still consider these things as bakers as we bake forward is sustainability. Are your practices sustainable? Are your people working on those sustainable practices? Are we using sustainable ingredients? And that matters because, not because I say, right? Not because I I care about it, but your consumers are asking for it. Your consumers are reading your packages. What kind of a brand story are you telling? And this is why sustainability is important. And from sustainability comes a, lot, a whole bunch of other processing technologies like upcycling. So that's how I feel this particular trend is really, really important. What do you think, Mark? Absolutely. I've seen this grow gradually. And in North America, we mostly, thankfully, are quite sustainable when it comes to palm oils and that we don't really have much of a difficulty there because of the commitment of the the processors and companies here in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico who will only use sustainable palm. And that's important to a lot of consumers who are very environmentally aware because there are problems in parts of the world where there is huge deforestation taking place to be able to put in palm groves. And that is then destroying animal habitat and so many other things in the ecology. And it's not really improving the lives of the locals at all or anything like that. So the move towards sustainable palm has been really big. You know, large producers like Ferrero, they felt this when they kind of ignored it at first. And they had a huge backlash in France 
where basically people were taking their chocolates off the shelf and including things like Nutella and stuff like that because of it not having sustainable palm. So that that has created a, a, a big backlash. So uh, it's things have changed a lot that way. We're seeing more and more environmental consumer awareness in that sense here in North America too. Yeah, and I think we're still going to see a new generation of bakers, if you're interested in what the next-gen bakers look like, a new gen of bakers that care about sustainability, that cares about the transparency and ask these questions, where is this ingredient from? How is it being made? It's important to ingredient companies to really Start asking those questions and yep. establish your story and establish your brand on, and how it stands among sustainability for the next gen bakers. So yep. definitely I see sustainability as a strong trend next year. It's not going to go away. Yeah, there's even things at the the bakery level where the simple things, the obvious ones are like, you talked about reducing waste. So reducing food waste is all part of sustainability as well, but also reducing water waste so that you are cleaning and using water effectively so that you're not, you know, wasting too much water. And then of course, energy, right? I mean, not to waste energy and or if you're in a position where you can put solar panels on the roof of the building or uh, put up windmills or something to help, uh, reduce your energy footprint use you know that all helps right it's it's a little drop sometimes in in a big bucket but it helps right and even just to be able to say to your customers that you're doing your part to help support sustainability of the environment by doing so it's a small investment to make to to keep that customer loyalty just one more point to add to that mark water usage energy usage it's all because of people, right? And I like to give you an example. I've been to plants before where water usage and energy usage is higher because they have the wrong production planner or the production team isn't looking at this. So just a tip, right? This is a tip. The last changeovers you have, the last shutdowns you have, the last skews you put in that line and like what Mark said about streamlining your skews improves your water usage and reduces your energy footprint. So get the right people in place, get the right production planning team in place and make sure that these don't happen more than it should. Because if the more you do your changeovers, the more cleaning you're gonna do, the more cleaning you're gonna do, the more water you use, the more water you use, the more, it's like a, it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. yeah. And we, we have a bad habit of tending to think of water as being free. While it may be relatively low cost, but it is definitely not free. And it is considered a renewable resource, but only up to a certain point as we're starting to see more and more in the environment. One more thing. I promise. One more thing. <laughs> Bakeries. Bakeries are supposed to be water-free, right? If you were seeing people blasting water in your bakeries, the first question that should come to your mind is why are they doing that? Someone's not doing their work clearly when water is standing in a bakery. Okay, I've seen this happen many times 
And when I ask that question, it comes down to a person issue, a people personnel issue, right? They're not trained the right way. They're not told what to do. And most importantly, nobody follows up with them. Okay. So things like that is like no water in bakery whatsoever. We know what that leads to. And, you know, that's still a water standing issue in your bakery. Give me a call. We need to talk. <laughs> you know, if, if you ever walked into the yard of a flour mill on a after a rainy day, you know why water is not a good idea in a bakery. <laughs> Never a good idea in a bakery. <laughs> the artisan trends have been growing in the last year. What does it look like in the future? More. It's not going to stop. And it's because people associate artisan bread with a better lifestyle, you know, not that it's any healthier. I don't think it's healthier, but artisan to them mean uh, longer ferments, mean Mm -hmm. sourdough, means whole grains, you know, so I don't see it going away. What do you think, Mark? I agree. The longer fermentation, there's still research being done, but there's it's showing promise as to providing easier digestion, improvements to gut health, and so on. There's potentially some speculation as to with the right kind of bacteria and length of fermentation that even gluten breads could become consumable by some celiacs who are not as sensitive. I think we're still a couple years off before we get to that point. But yeah, definitely artisan, in that sense, also things that are baked fresh for consuming today and tomorrow. There's both trends. We're going to get into the the shelf life trends yet a little bit too. But you know, this is also still a big, important trend. And I I feel that as a bakery, to some extent, you need to decide and plant your foot or your post as to where you stand. Are you going to be a fresh goods bakery who offers things, you know, five, six, seven days a week, freshly baked all the time to your customers? Or are you going to be a producer who ships far and wide? You can't really be both, not in today's market. They are two very desperately different products. And so you you need to kind of decide what you're you're doing. I mean, there are successful chains that produce product, freeze it, ship it to their locations, and then retherm and so on with success. But there again, that's their entire model. They have no longer any fresh bake on site in any of their locations. It's all done through distribution channels, right? So, but artisan definitely, we see more and more quality artisan and by artisan bakeries i think i don't mean just uh, sourdough i mean also other things like laminated pastries the fanciful desserts and things like that and these types of things these are growing more and more where particularly in major cities and well-to-do suburban areas where there's a lot of disposable income because they appreciate that quality and the effort that goes into it they will pay four and five dollars for a croissant but it better be a damn good croissant pardon me for using language but i mean and you know i paid four bucks for a damn good croissant but it was worth it i mean that that place that ross sent me to in in uh, los angeles what is it called what is it called Uh, yeah 
Uh, no, Portos, I think it was called. Oh, Portos. It? Yes, Portos yes, is my yeah. favorite. Ab- absolutely amazing. incredible. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. They have a lineup all day long. <laughs> Their people are lined up there all the time. It's just crazy. I can't figure out why people are lining out. I just yep. can't. You know, it's, it's uh, really good. It's consistent. That's what it's consistent. It, it, it's good quality. Every time you go in there, you expect, you know, the same thing, you know, and, and they just deliver it. They just deliver it yeah. every single day. Yeah, it, it may not be the best croissant in the world or the best cannoli, but they are very, very good. And they're always good. They're always consistent. Don't forget yeah. the price, too. The price on the, yes. on the they're, they're actually quite a bit cheaper than a lot of places. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, yeah, definitely a huge fan yeah. of Portos. <laughs> what novel alternatives have been developed to preserve product shelf life? Okay, here we go. I think in our Baking Industry Professionals Forum on Facebook, Shelf life is probably the biggest topic. I got to go through and tag it. Number one, number one topic on our forums. How do we make this last longer in the shelf? How do we make it softer? How do we make it mold free? How it's like nonstop all year. We're being hit by that question. It's it's shelf life, right? So, Mark, what do we recommend? Most important pillars of shelf life that we always need to clarify when we are working with shelf life because first of all there's preservation in terms of that it it doesn't mold right and then secondly is like softness things that we want to maintain texture it might also be maintaining crispness in certain things and thirdly a lot of times people forget flavor it's still got to taste as good right because some flavors especially a lot of the natural flavors that are not as concentrated as well, they can flash off easily. Looking to your flavor company is one that we can kind of cross off quickly. It's still just as important, but make sure you pay attention to flavor, that you're not losing flavor in baking and you're not losing flavor during storage and aging as well. That is true. And I think to your point, a lot of bakers ignore oxidation over shelf life. Well, yeah. We don't really talk about it, but it does come up occasionally when a baker says, well, it smells different, right? It, it smells different from day one. Well, the reason mm-hmm. it smells different is because of oxidation, right? If yeah. you constantly subject your baked product to air and light temperature fluctuations like freezer and all that stuff, there is just going to be oxidation. That's nothing you can do about unless you use EDTA, antioxidants, and other, a whole bunch of other things, right? So we can go in that, you know, if you want. But the, the truth is we are consistently seeing more questions on shelf life and shelf life issues, and it's never going to go away. So if you're developing solutions, if you're an equipment or ingredient company developing solutions and you want to stay in business, this is the thing to look into. Shelf life solutions. Yep. This year, particularly in terms of technology wise, I've seen ultraviolet technology coming from Denise and they do have an equipment that treats the product and tortillas with UV rays so that you can get a, a longer shelf life for tortillas. Yep. And if you need the information, reach out to us, support at Wikipedia.com yep. and we will hook you up. Other technologies include something similar. We spin them for 
forever, you know, cultured wheat, cultured dextrose, cultured corn syrup, you know, anything that's cultured that has the propionates, natural propionates in there. But cultured wheat, <laughs> you do. Um, and it's got a kind of stinky kind of flavor to it. Oh my God, it's, it's unbearable, yeah. you know. And this is, if you and I could start something, uh, Mark, this is what I would like to stop the industry to do. I would like to stop everyone from going above 0.3% Calpro okay. and 1.5% cultured wheat because that really gives everyone a bad rap on how bad that product smells. You know, I'm almost like embarrassed walking towards a bakery product that smells like Calpro. It's terrible, right? Yeah. If you are dumping so much Calpro in there, it means that there's a lot of other issues with your process. The people not using the right sanitation methods, not packaging enough, uh, soon yeah. enough when it's cool. You know, so these are the things, right? So ingredient technology can only offer up a certain solution. In terms of shelf life, longevity, anti-mole, there are all these other issues too to do with people, to do with process that you need to look into. So please we have to, stop we have dumping to more than 0.35% of Calpro. That's and, and we, we got to remember too that even, even if you stop it from going moldy, it's still going to stay soft, right? I mean, if it's like <laughs> bread or a donut or something. So, you know, the traditional technologies have been things like monodiglycerides and SSL. There's more and more interest towards more clean label type solutions, combinations. Now, you can't use xanthan gum on its own, won't really do you much. But if you use xanthan in combination with lecithin and uh, locust bean gum, then you can get a pretty good combined uh, result that will emulate monodiglycerides to a point, right? And then the other things that are, we're seeing more and more of, as you see, and, and we saw a fair bit of it at EBA as well, is enzymes. So there's a lot of different enzymes out there. And with enzymes, you have to be careful. You need to really work with your supplier closely because a little bit too much can do a lot of damage, right? You can get yourself into a lot of problems. Correct. Correct. I can mean, we, we can spend like a whole hour long talking about shelf life solutions oh, yeah, and yeah, innovation, yeah. but I really think we need to touch on other trends, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the next slide, please. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go to the next point. Well, a novel upcycling trend is developing. What are the current alternatives that have been developed? And yeah, this is really interesting. Upcycling. Upcycling is coming and it's getting yep. strong because of sustainability, right? One of the best ones I saw at EBA, and I have a, a a bit of a chat coming up on one of the upcoming podcasts, is a grain. So think again, but with the R added in, a grain. And tell you a little bit as a teaser about it, one of the things that caught me that was really interesting, caught my eye, is that they were giving away a bag of chips. And the thing was, they made these chips with spent brewer's grains. So in other words, the, the barley that had been used to brew beer, and they take those in, they clean them and dry them and mill them into a flour, and they made these chips with that flour. So if you ate this bag of chips together with a half a liter of beer, 
you ate the same amount of grain as was used to make your beer. <laughs> so it was it was really cool. <laughs> so, but it, they had breads there. They had sourdough breads and stuff there. It, it's really good and it's quite nutritious. There's quite a process involved in recovering this and cleaning it and drying it out and and making it usable as as a grain. And they have different flavors. It's not they they have from different grains or different types of roasts or different beers that they were made with and stuff. So it's really, really, there's some really interesting stuff happening there. Right? Yeah. And as bakers for the next generation, why aren't we using our crumbs and waste and things that we produce that we can't sell? You know, we got to think about these things, right? I mean, the technology is there. It's just yep. maybe a little cost prohibitive, but think of ways. Think of ways that using your product, things other than animal feed. You know, so there is this uh, interesting new technology from the protein brewery. They use ugly, you know, ugly vegetables or what we call you know vegetables that that can't be sold usually in the supermarket. Maybe because they got too many blemishes, whatever it is. So they take these products and they upcycle it and they make mycelium powder. Mm -hmm. So this mycelium powder, it's called Fermatine. It's an upcycled product. Um, it improves the protein content of your bread or your tortilla. And it also increases the fiber as well. So this is an okay. interesting product trend to keep an eye on. I mean, if you want to try a, a, a sample of Fermatine, reach out to us at support at Wikipedia and we can, you know, work with the team to send you a sample. But basically, you know, upcycling is such a huge trend and to be able to use that word to market your brand assets, I think that's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, I remember a friend of mine who has a bakery in the Toronto area, and they had a, a precise formula that worked for them. They didn't produce any waste to to create product, but they just always seemed to manage to have enough. And it was for their whole wheat bread. They would reuse, uh, basically, they would soak husks from uh, where you know from slicing the bread. Sometimes the husks fall off the ends, right? Yeah. Uh, or bread or whole wheat bread that didn't get sold that day, and they would soak that in their sponge in their for the next day as part of the formula. So they would reuse up to ten percent of the flour weight would be reused whole wheat bread. It became a very popular staple so that they only made so much, they wouldn't make more because they didn't want to have to bake to make waste, right? So yeah. it was dependent on their waste that they would make this particular loaf. It's a little bit denser, but it's got a rich flavor. It's very nutty and everything. Uh, um, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, upcycling in many ways is really, really a lot of opportunities there. You know, amazing things are happening with it. And even in different parts of the various grains and fruits is they're looking more and more at things that go to animal feed or the waste that how can more value be extracted from this, right? How can we make use of it for nutritional purposes and, and things like that. That's it. Okay, so now we can Woo! go to the Q&A. Wow. Okay, that was a lot we covered. Yeah, we did. Well, we did great. We're, we're, I'll be we got a minute left. There are any questions. <laughs> you know what I want this year? I want to bite into a really good loaf of fruitcake. 
I've seen so many people, you know, soaking their raisins and stuff. I want to try a fruitcake this year. That's really, really good. <laughs> I'll buy you some of McFadden's fruitcake and ship it to you. They're, they're, okay. they're famous for their, their fruitcake here. Right? All right. You may not okay. get it till January, but I'll ship <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> I heard these things last a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I do have an executive coaching program. It's only exclusive to companies that focus on leadership training. So I don't do one-on-one -on -one training. I go in and train the whole team. So if you're interested in that particular program, you can send an email to me. It's lynn, L-I-N, at bakerpedia.com. Okay, uh, it's called Fermotine. Fermotine, yep. F-E-R-M-O-T-E-I-N. Deb and I last week talked on it, Thought Leadership Thursday. So if you could take a look at that video from YouTube last week, you would be able to learn more about it. It's a really interesting product. So I just want to thank everyone for coming on. Again, thank you, Mark. This is going to be our last My broadcast pleasure. of the year. New year, new problems. So let's you know, send everything to the new year <laughs> and let's enjoy whatever we have left of this yeah. year. It's been phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a great year. It's been a busy year. So much has, has transpired this year. It, it's hard to wrap it all up in just a, a one hour conversation and, and fireside chat. So we'll have to see what we can do for next year and keep everything rocking and rolling and moving forward. And yeah, look forward to, you know, more seminars, more Thought Leadership Thursdays, more Wisdom Wednesdays, and more Baked in Science podcasts. Thank you always for listening. We wish you all success and prosperity for the new year, and of course, most importantly, health and happiness. Stay tuned to Baked in Science and let's see how our predictions develop. Coming up will be part two of the Bakerpedia EBA highlights, and then next, a very interesting conversation combining baking, science, and R&D to launch a successful new product with nutrition. My name is Mark Flerka, and this is Bakerpedia's Baked in Science.